KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 o'clock and you are listening to Community Radio. Today is Friday, April 8th, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Good evening, I'm Claudio Mendonça. In November, Sacramento citizens will vote on a measure that if approved will make homeless encampments illegal inside the city. It would take effect once the city creates enough shelter spaces to house 60% of Sacramento's houseless community. We bring you our fourth and final story celebrating National Library Week, this time about the Nevada Union High School Library. Felton Pruitt closes out our newscast with a conversation with Aoife O'Donovan. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. In Sacramento, a local measure has been approved for the November ballot that, if passed, would outlaw homeless encampments in the city. The ordinance would forbid encampments in public spaces once the city creates enough shelter spaces for unhoused people. The proposal would require that spaces be approved for 60% of Sacramento's unsheltered residents. The measure was pushed through the city council this week after language was included that shelter spaces must be added to all council districts in Sacramento. During a special meeting this week, council member Katie Valenzuela said the process was being rushed, particularly since the city only released details 24 hours before Wednesday's meeting. You're letting a small few with resources dictate how we make policy as a city. We're letting them make us ignore good suggestions because i agree mayor i think it's great thing that we put it to the voters i think it's great that we would have a law i think it's great that we can't back out of it i think it's great that we're setting standards but the devil is in the details and there are too many details here that have not been worked out homeless advocates have criticized the plan saying it's backed by business groups that have pushed for sweeps of encampments and the towing of vehicles that are being used as shelters but council member jeff harris says the initiative will help the city move more quickly to address the homeless problem i have always wanted to do a balanced approach services and enforcement to protect all the people the unhoused and the house and i think that this initiative will help us get there and and much more quickly than we have been doing thus far. Now, it's unclear how financially feasible the Sacramento plan is. The city currently spends about $33 million a year to provide 1,100 shelter beds. It would have to greatly increase that capacity under the proposal. Sacramento conducted its annual homeless count earlier this year. The last count in 2019 found more than 3,000 people living on the streets in Sacramento. The new numbers are due out later this year. Over the past couple of years, the pandemic has highlighted big problems with the state's often deteriorating stock of rental housing as more people have stayed home. Now Los Angeles County is planning to crack down on landlords who neglect their buildings. From KPCC in L.A., David Wagner has more. This week, L.A. County's Board of Supervisors approved a proposal calling for routine inspections of every rental home in unincorporated parts of the county. Landlords who neglect their buildings could face fines and even have rent withheld. 
Oscar Zarate is an organizer with Strategic Actions for a Just Economy. He's been calling for these reforms for years. Slum housing is disproportionately concentrated in some of the most vulnerable communities. And I think this motion is going towards repairing that. We can't have people living without hot water for two years. We can't have our little children living in roach-infested apartments. Landlords say the county's plan could lead to a bloated bureaucracy that ends up raising rents for tenants. Either way, none of these changes will happen anytime soon. County leaders say the new inspection program could take years to establish. For the California Report, I'm David Wagner in Los Angeles. Let's go to the Central Valley. The city of Fresno is launching a pilot program to help protect its street vendors one year after vendor Lorenzo Perez was murdered while selling corn. The California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin has the story. The $20,000 pilot program is set to install live stream cameras on 20 Fresno vendor carts. City officials hope the cameras will serve as a deterrent to the harassment, violence, and theft that street vendors can face. Fresno City Council member Luis Chavez spoke to KQED's forum about the project. This initiative came about as a result of a number of assaults and, and unfortunately a murder that occurred about a year ago. From that, though, came this serves for community support and the food vendor folks that were really feeling vulnerable out there. Officials say it's not uncommon for street vendors not to want to report when they are victims of crimes for reasons like fear of deportation or not having a proper business license. And the cameras are part of a larger effort by the city to calm those concerns. Again, Chavez. So what we wanted to do is is obviously flip that and embrace them because they are an important part of not just our culture, but our small business community. Um, I don't think a lot of folks understand just how much of, of economic development they help. And every dollar that folks use to support them goes right back into our economy. The city is also putting $5 million into a community kitchen for street vendors and other small business owners to use to prepare food. For the California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harvin. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. The James Irvine Foundation, accepting nominations now for the 2023 James Irvine Foundation Leadership Awards at irvineawards.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. California's commercial Dungeness crab fishing season is ending earlier than expected this year. KQED's Nina Thorson tells us why. The state had already announced that crab fisheries from the Sonoma-Mendocino County border on south would close today. Now, the Department of Fish and Wildlife is shutting down the northern parts of the state on April 20th, after three separate reports of humpback whales getting tangled up in commercial crab fishing lines. The Dungeness season got a late start last fall, also because of the risk of whale entanglements. The Center for Biological Diversity is asking the crabbing industry to move to different methods that don't endanger other animals. The other issue that's affected many recent crab seasons, high levels of the neurotoxin domoic acid caused by algae, hasn't been as much of a problem this year. Recreational crab fishing is still permitted for now. For the California Report, I'm Nina Thorson.
And that's the California Report for Friday, April 8th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin and Danny Bringer, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin, Asul Dahlstrom Ekman, and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our director of news is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Tobin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening, and talk next week. In regional weather, tonight in Nevada City and Grass Valley, mostly cloudy, then gradually becoming clear with a low around 49. On Saturday, sunny with a high near 69. Saturday night will be mostly clear with a low around 43 degrees. And on Sunday, mostly sunny with a high near 65. In Truckee and the Lake Tahoe area, this evening mostly clear with a low around 32. Saturday will be sunny with a high near 59. On Saturday night, Truckee and the Lake Tahoe area will be mostly clear with a low around 23. And on Sunday, mostly sunny with a high near 52. Tonight in Sacramento and Woodland, mostly clear with a low around 54. Saturday will be sunny with a high near 77. Saturday night will be mostly clear with a low around 51 degrees, and on Sunday, Sacramento will be sunny with a high near 74. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. The Nevada Union High School Library is more than just a place to check out books. It can be a place to hang out or a place to find a friendly face to talk to. KVMR Youth News Corps reporter Avery George spoke to librarian Josie Andrews about what has and continues to make the NU Library such a wonderful place. All right, so the bell rings, lunch is starting, and just for the fun of it, let's say all your close friends are sick and not at school. So your first question is, Where the heck are you going to go? Well, here's an idea. Why don't you go hang out in the library? If you can find a seat, that is. The Nevada Union Library is definitely a hotspot for students. I had the wonderful opportunity to get and sit down and chat with Josie Andrews, librarian here, and talk about what makes the NU Library such a safe and welcoming spot to be in. My name is Josie Andrews, and I am the teacher librarian at Nevada Union High School. How long have you been working here? I've worked at Nevada Union since the beginning of this school year, so since August. And prior to that, I worked at Bear River, and I started at Bear River in 2016. What made you want to join the NU Library, and why Nevada Union? Um, I am a Nevada Union graduate, and um, I was really happy to be able to come back to NU and work here. I really enjoy the NU community. Uh, I came from Bear River after the librarian at NU got a different position at a different school, and uh, it's more responsibility, and it's just a much busier campus and uh, much more active, and so I was really excited to kind of jump into a bigger, more active campus. Why do you think that the library is such a popular hangout spot? 
because we are awesome. Uh, we try to offer all kinds of opportunities for students. So beyond just reading and books, we host clubs. We do ping pong on Fridays. We have snacks. We really try to make the library not just a, like a quiet place for study and reading, but really an active community center. Have you made any strong connections with any of the students? Definitely with my peer tutors. Um, I have peer tutors every period except for first and second. And then I have made connections with a lot of kids that are involved in the clubs and then with my advisory students. And we just really have, I feel like the library is a super supportive place for any student. And so we, um, we're kind of like de facto therapy too. Like we don't, even though we're not like a trained therapist, but we um, are warm and welcoming and available to talk to kids who need a little extra support. That kind of tied into my next one. And it was, do you view the library as like a safe space for students? Absolutely. It is the safest place on campus for students. I mean, I don't want to say like it's the safest place, but that's what I feel like. I feel like um, we're just, have an open door policy for students who need a place to to be and people to talk to and also book recommendations what do you think makes it such a safe welcoming place um i think part of it is the staff you know we really try to make sure that students feel welcome um, and like I said, we provide snacks and play games and really are available to listen to students when they need someone to talk to. Have you ever had like growing up and going to NU, did you ever have a place around here that was kind of like your safe space? Um, I probably didn't hang out in the library very much. I think um, like a lot of people like me really like got along well with their English teachers. Um, I did spend some time in the library, but when I went here, it was much smaller and it was over by where the principal's office is. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm trying to think if I had like a really, I, I didn't, I think like one of the reasons that I try to provide a space like this at, on campus is because I didn't have something like this, so. Have you seen any changes in the students after they start coming to the library more, like more often? Have you seen gradual changes in them? Um, I think, you know, I have a couple of kids that have had a really like rough start to the year. And so it's good to see them like um, being more uh, focused on their academics and like ready to like start trying new things. And then um, it's, always fun to like get people that are like I hate to read and then I kind of provide them like the perfect book and they get super excited. Cool. Do you believe that because you and the other librarians have such welcoming kind personalities that you were a part of the reason the kids feel safe here? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a huge part of it. Like, I'm not a shusher. I don't tell people to be quiet. And I think, you know, that's kind of a good and bad because some people do really need like a quiet like calm place to be but if somebody needs that like if there's a but a group of loud students like we have a group of students that loves to play uno in the library during lunch and they're super loud so i put them in a different room so like the people that need a little bit more like calm <laughs> downtime can have that too what are some of the qualities 
that you think are the most important in the student safe space and how do you think you incorporated them in the NU library? Um, I think just being non-judgmental towards students, um, uh, maintaining confident, like confidentiality when students come and talk to us and when students want to check out materials, like making sure that we're not like, um, like talking about that to other people, to other adults, um, really making sure that we are like open and available and that we're here and, um, yeah, I don't know. So, next time you need a fun new hangout spot, check out the library. Who knows? It might just turn out to be your new favorite spot. I'm Avery George for KVMR News. This story was produced as part of KVMR's Youth News Corps with support from the National Federation for Community Broadcasting and the Community Counts Initiative. For more information about Youth News Corps, visit kvmr.org slash youthnewscorps. Next up... Felton Pruitt talks to Aoife O'Donovan, who will be performing in Grass Valley on Saturday. We're talking with Aoife O'Donovan. She's a fantastic musician. She's coming to the Center for the Arts on Saturday, April 9th. Wonderful to talk with you again, Aoife. Thanks so much for having me. Can't wait to, can't wait to get back out to the West Coast. And you've got a, a friend opening up, Taylor Ashton. Why don't you talk about uh, Taylor real quick? Taylor is so great. Taylor and I actually put out a song together, a single together, in the beginning of the pandemic, you guys should be you should be playing it on the radio. It's called Loretta. It's a Towns Van Zandt cover. Love it's that. Our little duo. But if you don't know Taylor, um, he's a signature sounds recording artist. He has a beautiful record that's called The Romantic that came out. And we were supposed to be on tour together um, most of March of 2020 and, and um, into the spring of 2020 when everything got shut down. So I'm so glad that we're finally able to, to actually do this tour together. He's going to be with me for all the California dates. Well, I just champion anybody that keeps Towns Van Zant's music alive. Yeah, <laughs> likewise. You've got an album that just came out, Age of Apathy. You want to uh, tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I put out a record in January uh, produced by the great Joe Henry, and it's called Age of Apathy. And the title is, you know, it's kind of a downer of a title, but I think the music explores sort of the broader, just kind of a, a time that we find ourselves in. You know, it's, it's kind of wild to now be sort of getting all these pandemic releases thrown at us. Uh, but I think that really it's, it's just uh, for me writing this record and recording this album in the middle of COVID uh, just had a lot to do with unpacking the last 20 years of, of this, of, you know, my adulthood, basically starting with 9-11 and, and kind of culminating in this in this crazy pandemic that we're, we're living through right now. And um, a lot of songs about just sort of questioning all of that and then ultimately ending the record with the song of hope and looking toward the future. So it's been a really, it's been a trip to play these songs live. And I've really enjoyed um, taking them from the album to the stage with this great band, Robin McMillan, who grew up in California, um, in the Carmel area on drums, and Ethan Yojevitz on bass, and Issa Burke, a great guitarist out of Portland, Maine. I first met you at Strawberry, which was a, a wonderful festival we used to have up at Camp Mather for 30 years or so. And you used to come up there with a band called Crooked Still. I did that festival when it was up there, you know, outside of Yosemite. That was that was really just one of my, I mean, my favorite things about touring was was getting up there. And my favorite thing about Strawberry, particularly, is that there was no cell phone service um, at Camp Mather. Right. And so you would get into you would get into Strawberry on like Thursday, and you would just. This is even back, I guess, before smartphones. Really, that I first went to Strawberry It was like in two thousand four. So I guess what we had like maybe there was cell phone service by the end, but. 
just the idea that you would be there and you would lose your friends, you would make new friends, you would end up in people's campsites listening to the radio stream of the festival, you know, down the hill and there people would be drinking tequila and jamming and there would be kids everywhere. And gosh, I loved, I loved that festival so much. Well, you'll see some old friends from Strawberry at the Center for the Arts when you show up because we're still Great. here. <laughs> Great. And I think the last time I saw you at Strawberry, you were playing with Noam Pakelny. Yes, that was a that was a very fun band. I just was with Noam last week, um, playing some music with him on the Kayamo cruise. Uh, so we still get to play music together quite a bit, which is great. You still hang out with your punch brother buddies. I do. I, I still. I still. Um, we we did a little set the other night, and, and they gave me my title of the original punch sister, which I was very flattered by. Well, you want to talk a little bit about what people will see when you come to the Center for the Arts? What What are they going to hear in your show? We've got a, a lot of material to choose from at this point. This has been the most fun thing about having this new band um, put together for this record, because, you know, I think as, as anybody's career progresses as an artist, like you do your first tour with your first record and you have like, you know, your 12 songs that you know, and then you play some covers and some other songs. But I'm so happy to now be like, all right, I'm 39 years old and I've got three solo albums. I can play really hours of music. I feel really happy to have gotten to that point in my career where I can make really fun set lists based on the new record, but also throwing in a variety of songs from my um, previous catalogs, as well as some really fun covers. We've got a song, uh, we, we will probably try to try to throw in a Joanna Newsom song in Grass Valley, because I know that's her, her old stomping grounds, the great um, harpist and singer. Um, and we've got uh, Jason Bruce Springsteen. I've read really into Nebraska. I don't know if you saw that I released a Nebraska record, uh, a live live album version of Nebraska in September. And so, yeah, there's just, just a, a lot of music, a lot of, a lot of good, good hangs, and, and probably get to do some collaboration with Taylor as well. We're talking with Aoife O'Donovan. She's going to be at the Center for the Arts on Saturday, April 9th. And, uh, you know, I was going through your webpage, and you have an interesting section there. It says, America, comma, come. You want to talk to mm. them about that? Yeah, America, come is a new piece that I wrote that premiered in May of 2021. Uh, in honor of the passing of the 19th Amendment. It was a, um, a piece that was commissioned by the Orlando Philharmonic Orchestra, and I performed it four times last year, and I'm working on an album of it, so there will be more more to say sort of about that as that comes out, but it's a 22-minute it's a 20, piece of music uh, for voice and bass and drums and full orchestra, uh, where the text is inspired by the letters and speeches of Carrie Chapman Tatt, um, who was a very prominent um, suffragist and very instrumental in the passage of the 19th Amendment. So it's sort of inspired by her, as well as uh, by some letters from Woodrow Wilson and sort of my own interpretation of what they were saying and how it relates to the current uh, voter crisis we find ourselves in 100 years later. It's actually pretty wild sort of diving into the 19th Amendment because the, the times were uh, very similar. There was a pandemic, there was, a, there was war. You know, it's funny because it was not funny, but when I wrote the piece, of course, we, you know, we, we it wasn't this conflict in Russia and Ukraine, but it's just it's just wild to sort of see the, the way that, that there is just so much darkness in the world and how the people were still able to get stuff done. And these these women were so steadfast in their belief and and met so much resistance and uh, just very inspiring to, to dive into that. And I'm really looking forward to um, in the in the coming years to releasing this music and touring behind it with orchestras because it's a, it's a piece that I feel really strongly about and feel really proud of. 
Well, I'm looking forward to catching up with you again. It's been about a decade since we've run across each other. <laughs> so we get, to, we get to do that on Saturday, April 9th, over at the Center for the Arts in Grass Valley. It's Aoife O'Donovan. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thanks so much for calling. I appreciate it, and, and looking forward to seeing you guys soon. That wraps our newscast. Head over to kvmr.org or subscribe to the KVMR News Podcast to listen to a bonus interview by Felton with Ray Bonneville. While you're there, learn more about the KVMR Youth News Corps. KVMR gets support from Wallace Design Studio Architects, providing architectural design for commercial, residential, and medical projects throughout California. Recent projects include Insight Imaging, Culture Shock Yogurt, Cake Bakery, and Valor Oncology. WallaceDesignStudio.com And Chan Family Optometry. Dr. Chan and team provide comprehensive medical eye care, specializing in glasses, contacts, dry eye, and low vision. Serving Nevada County since 1978. Sierra College Drive in Grass Valley. ChanFamilyOptometry.com Don't go anywhere. Next, we bring you the California Report magazine with a story about Fern Canyon in Humboldt County. Then at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Thank you for supporting KVMR. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Keep it steady and meet us right here on Monday for another edition of the KVMR Evening News. Have a safe weekend.